don't answer out loud, but if you just think about what it is that you want, what comes to your mind, and, and by that I, don't, I mean just kind of in general, in life, what, what do you want? If there's even kind of a big thing that you could summarize out of life, the thing that I most want is, or the thing that I most hope for is, fill in the blank, what, what would you put there? And there's maybe a lot of different things that we could say, but I would say that if we were to boil it down, essentially what we all want is to be happy. What we want is happiness. That's what we want. And it comes in different ways and it comes in different forms, but, but what you and I want is to be happy. And we think about this in all sorts of ways that you might think about decisions that we make in life. Sometimes people will say something like, I, I just want to be with someone, kind of romantically or relationally speaking, I just want to be with someone that makes me happy. Or I want someone that I can uh, build kind of a happy life with. There's even a phrase, happy wife, happy life, right? That's true, by the way. Um, but, or you think about a job, and you might say something like, I just want a career that we don't always use the word happy, but, but that is fulfilling. I want a job that's fulfilling. Or, or man, I just wasn't happy. So if you make a job transition, I just wasn't happy there anymore. Sometimes we use that kind of language. If you think about even sometimes the way that we assess what is right or what is wrong, and I'm not saying this is good, but sometimes the way that we assess what is right or wrong, we use some kind of a phrase like this. It doesn't really matter what you do. Uh, as long as you don't hurt anyone, just do what makes you happy. So we might say that really all choices are acceptable as long as you don't hurt someone, as, but just do whatever makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Even built into the Constitution of the United States is life, liberty, and the pursuit of Happiness, it's built into the foundation of our country. Why is this country here? To be happy, right? That is what we want. You can assess if that is working or not in the country. That's up to you to decide, but that's what it's built on. We all desire to be happy, and, and not just a moment of happiness, not just, wow, that was really cool, I kind of felt happy, but a life of happiness, a state of of happiness, a state of being that we continually and constantly live in. I think it might be helpful to even just look at kind of the dictionary definition of happiness and, or rather this isn't the definition, but the kind of synonyms that are associated with happiness as you think about all these different pieces that we want contentment, right? Want to be content, not constantly grumbling or dissatisfied. We want pleasure. That feels good. That's why I want to do that thing. We want satisfaction or cheerfulness or a word that, you know, we don't use often enough, merriment, right? I want merriment. What are you doing this weekend? I'm getting into some merriment, so that's what I'm doing, right? We want, we want gaiety and joy and delight and high spirits. We want good cheer and exuberance, felicity, exhilaration, euphoria, seventh heaven, not just a show, but also the, just the feeling of, ah, I'm in seventh heaven, right? We want all of that stuff. We want to enjoy life. We want happiness. In fact, it's not just that we want this. All the choices that we make really are for happiness. The, the famous uh, mathematician and French philosopher Blaise Pascal said this. You may have heard this quote. It's kind of a famous quote. He said, all men and women seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it, 
is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. So every choice we make, whether you are anti-war or pro-war, is for happiness. Every choice that you make, if you say, I want to be single for the rest of my life or I want to be married, it's for happiness. If you say, I love meat or I only eat vegetables, it's for happiness. All the choices that we make, even though we choose different paths towards those things, it is all, everything we do, if you boil it down, is for happiness. That's just the way Blaise Pascal says it. Many people say the same thing in all sorts of different ways. I could quote you ancient philosophers and theologians. I'll just give you one more quote uh, from St. Augustine. And he's an early church father, kind of one of the founding theologians in many ways of the church. And he says this, Every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. There is no man who does not desire this, and each one desires it with such earnestness that he prefers it to all other things. Whoever, in fact, desires other things desires them for this end alone. You might say, I don't want happiness. I want comfort. But you want comfort because you want to experience happiness. Or I don't want happiness. I want uh, love. Well, yes, but if you boil that down, that is you want happiness. You desire anything else in life because you want happiness. That is just the truth for all of us. We want happiness. When we think about the life that we want, we've talked about all sorts of different desires that we have. We've talked about a desire for control and peace. We've talked about a desire for a better future and to know that things are going to be okay and things that are going to work out. We've talked about a desire for people's acceptance and approval in our life. We've talked about all sorts of different desires, and and those are all true, but in some ways, underneath all of those things is this, that we desire happiness. In some ways, it's its own thing, but really, it's just the bedrock in the foundation of why we want all those other things to begin with. We want happiness, but we struggle. We struggle to have happiness. Some of you might walk in, today, walk in here today very happy, very joyful, having lots of merriment in your life, and others walk in feeling it's a struggle. There's ups and downs. In fact, this just came out a couple days ago on CNN. It said American happiness hits record lows. And just the different polls and things that they use to to study this, and they've been studying kind of happiness in America and other countries do this uh, as well for years and years and years. But this is just a couple couple days ago says that American happiness hits all-time low. So I don't know if that's true for you. Maybe maybe your happiness is at an all-time high. But whether or not, The reality is that we struggle. We all want it, but we struggle to have happiness. We struggle to have the joy and the delight and the experience of all the the synonyms that we looked at. It's often up and down. It's often out of reach. Or maybe you just look at your life, even if you feel joy and happiness, you just look and go, it could be more. There's actually a best-selling book that's called 10% More Happy. And it came out a handful of years ago, and it was just saying, your happiness can increase 10% more. It's a best-selling New York Times bestseller because even just that, we all look and go, yeah, you know what? Maybe life is pretty good, but could you be 10% more happy right now? Could you have a little bit more happiness? And if you could, we want that. We desire that. What if your situations in life didn't control you? What if your finances didn't control you? What if the people around you didn't control you? What if, what if your job 
What if your home, what if all of these things didn't control your happiness, but you could have a steady, constant happiness? What if we could have a happiness that grows, that wherever you are now, again, whether you're at the lowest point of your life or whether you are feeling great, what if you could have a happiness that grows, that you experience more than what we have now? That is possible. It's available to us to have a stable, deep, and growing happiness. That is something that we can have. And like I said, in some ways, this is a desire, but in other ways, it's the desire underneath all the different things that we've been talking about of the life that we want. So how do we get this kind of happiness? Why do we want it to begin with? Why do we struggle to have it? And how do we get it? That's what we're going to look at. So let's begin with this question. Where does our desire for happiness come from? Why do we have this desire? And let me say this. At, at times, and you know, some of you pro- probably are exploring faith and maybe not quite sure kind of what you believe about Christianity, so you might have a different view than this. But oftentimes for Christians, we're not even sure if this is okay. It's kind of like the H word. It's like, ah, I don't know. Is that okay? And I, I remember I even uh, at one point had, had said this phrase, uh, but that God wants your holiness, not your happiness. That's a phrase that kind of goes around Christian circles at times. Maybe you have heard that. And things like that, that we're not even really sure. Should we, is it okay? Should we want happiness? Is that something that I should have? And here's what happens. Happiness, as we saw from the couple quotes, plus just we know it in our own soul, the desire for happiness is inescapable. You can't get away from it. Every single thing we do is for that can't get away from it. So if that's true, then what that means is if we're not sure kind of how faith fits into that, then we're either going to feel really guilty since we want this thing and yet we're not sure if we're supposed to want it, or we just won't have a Christian view of it. We'll separate. We will say, okay, I want happiness. I'm not sure if faith really works or fits into that at all. So I don't understand how faith and happiness work. So I just kind of go with the world's view of happiness. We all want happiness, but for Christians, sometimes we're really not even sure if we should. Where does this desire come from? And I want to give you at least a few things that explain where this desire comes from. The first is this, and we've been looking at many uh, times in Genesis the bedrock of all these different desires. But if you read this, it says, as God made the world, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So God creates the world. He creates the world and then says, it's very good. That means that human beings were brought into this state of happiness. Very good is that God made this amazing world and that you and I were made for total happiness. If you can just think about God makes this beautiful paradise garden with talking animals, all your Disney movie dreams come true, right? There's talk, and I don't know if they were talking, I think they were, but there's at least animals that aren't eating you, so that's cool. And there's just animals, right? And there's this beautiful garden, beautiful garden. No weeds, no allergies, beautiful garden. And they're eating fruit. 
and they're naked. It sounds like, you know, a Denver Botanical Gardens advertisement, you know, after hours party thing, right? It's just this amazing place. And God says, very good. That's how he made us. That's what he designed. He designed us to live in this state of happiness. And so ever since then, we're trying, because that's not how it stayed. The world fell, and man and woman sinned against God, and then everything broke. And ever since then, we're trying to get back to what we were made for. But we were made for a state of happiness. And the future is this again. The future is God restoring all things once again to a state of happiness. That's what you and I were made for. So where the desire comes from for happiness is that's how we were made. God made the world and said, very good. That's what we desire. That's what we want. Second thing is this, where this desire comes from. And I don't know if you think about this at all, but God is happy. Now that might seem odd. Maybe you've never thought about that phrase or maybe you've never even said that sentence if you were to Google God and just kind of put it into Google images, usually it's sort of the white guy with the long hair and just kind of mad look that's in a lot of the classic art. And that's a lot of times what we think of when we think of God. But God is happy. How, I mean, I'll show you some verses to prove my point in a second, but just think about it for a second. How could it be otherwise? Like, do you think God is mad? Do you think God is just bored? Do you think God is just kind of a, uh, I don't, what do you want to do, God? I don't know. I don't care. Do you think that's who God is? Is that what God is like? No, God is happy. God is a happy, even if you think about Jesus, Jesus showed up. Usually people like happy people, right? Not, I'm not saying just kind of the fake happy that we're like, oh my gosh, shut up. I'm not saying that kind of happy. But usually people are drawn, kids were always coming to Jesus. People loved Jesus. That doesn't happen if he's just kind of like, all right, let's do a little sermon here. Hey, you want a loaf, a fish? All right, fine. That doesn't happen. Jesus must have been a happy person such that kids wanted to come near him and the disciples said as they get those brats away and then Jesus saying, no, bring them to me. Kids usually don't like kind of angry, grumpy people. That's why they like Santa Claus, right? And Jesus is the original Santa Claus. No, I don't whatever. But Jesus must have been happy, right? God is a happy God. So let, look at this. This is from 1 Timothy. He says, uh, and I should have put a dot, dot, dot at the beginning, but I just want you to see one part of this, but it says he's talking about teaching, and he says this teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which was entrusted to me. But this word, blessed, the blessed God or the blessed God, however you want to say that, the blessed God. What do you think of when you think of the blessed God? Probably our minds kind of go, oh, the, I don't, we really probably don't even know what that means. Just like, oh, the blessed God. Just kind of like, bless this food and bless this day. And we don't really even know what it means. It just is kind of like a religious filler word. But really what that word means is the happy God. I'll show you from uh, your favorite book, the Lexham Theological Workbook. It says that makarios, that's the Greek word, means blessed, fortunate, an adjective describing a person as experiencing positive circumstances or a happy disposition. So the God with the happy disposition. Or from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, your second favorite book, it denotes the transcendent happiness of a life beyond care, labor, and death. The transcendent happiness. 
That's how it's describing God. It's saying the blessed or the transcendently happy God, the God that is, has a happy disposition. That's God. And that, that's just a verse. There's multiple places I could show you. I'll show you just this one other place that maybe you've heard. Uh, we, I think I preached through this parable, Luke's version. But he says at the end of the, this is kind of the, the parable, the talents is normally what it's called. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Or in other translations, enter into the joy of your master. So the master, which in this story represents God, is saying, come enter into, come share in the joy that your master has. That's the reward. That's the privilege of living uh, faithfully and stewarding your things faithfully is come and your master is filled with joy. Come and enter his joy. God is happy. Now, the reason that I'm saying that that is part of where our joy comes from and where our our desire for happiness comes from is that you and I, as we've explored in many of these things, are made in the image of God. If God is a happy God, if God is a God with a joyful disposition, a happy disposition, this exu- if that's who God is and you and I were made in the image of God, it means that that desire for happiness comes because we were made to reflect God. You were made to show what God is like. Something of who you and I are shows here's who God is. Our desire for happiness comes because We were made for it. That's how God made the world. Because God is happy and we are made in his image. And then final thing is because God wants you happy. God wants you to be happy. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you believe that in a wrong way. We'll maybe talk about some of that in a minute. But God wants you to be happy. That's a reality. And so part of our desire for wanting happiness comes because God wants it for you. Let me just show you a sampling of this. If you look in Luke at the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and you know this verse, but just think about it in this context. The angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. From the beginning of the Bible... And then we're just going to look at some things in the New Testament. The announcement of who Jesus is and what it means to have life with Jesus is all about happiness, all about joy. It says, Jesus is born. Okay, so what does that mean, angel? The angel shows up. Jesus is born. He's here. So what does that mean? I bring you good news of holiness. That might be what we would think the angel would say based on just sometimes our conceptions of Christianity. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be holy. Yes, we should. But the angel comes and his announcement is this. Great joy is now available. Great joy. Jesus comes into the earth and the announcement for his life and what that's going to mean and what that's going to do in the world for all people. Great joy. Now, let me say this because sometimes, again, in Christian circles, and I... There's a bunch of reasons for this, and if you want to explore it more, I can give you books to read. But uh, sometimes Christians say something like this, and I'm going to make fun of this, so don't be offended if you have said this. Maybe you even said it yesterday. I don't know. But sometimes Christians say a stupid statement that is, God wants you to have joy, not happiness. 
happiness, that doesn't matter. That's, that's the world's perspective. God wants us to have joy. False. Here is what joy means, back to your favorite book. The word for joy, kata, is the experience of gladness. That is just a synonym for happiness. The experience of gladness, or if you look at the verb form, it is to rejoice, to be glad, to be in a state of gladness, happiness, or well-being. This is how the term joy that's used in the Bible is defined. It's just a synonym for happiness. We have sometimes created, and if this is boring to you, if you're like, I, the same thing to me, that's fine. I just know in, oftentimes in Christian circles, we have kind of this separation between happiness and joy when really they are just synonyms. Even when we looked in the normal dictionary, not the theological one, a synonym for happiness is joy and vice versa. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a state of happiness, gladness, well-being, joy. It's all the same thing. It is a, it's a state, it's a reality where you are experiencing all of those different synonyms that we looked at. That's joy. That's happiness. And again, a lot of times, I didn't even do this one, but the word blessed in the Bible really can be and should be trans, translated as happy. So even if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are those that this, blessed are those that that, blessed, really that can and should be translated as happy are those that blank and blank and blank. It's the same thing. There's synonymous words that are used. There isn't a distinction. So when the angel comes and announces good news of great joy, he didn't say, but listen, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about the Christian thing, not the world thing. He doesn't actually want you to be happy. He just wants you to kind of sit there mad, but say that you're happy. That's the good news that I bring to you. That's not what the angel says. It's good news of great happiness, well-being, a state of gladness, good news of great joy. I'll show you another one of just traced through the Bible. I want to show you a handful of these, how from start to finish, really joy, happiness is what God wants to bring to us. What is the kingdom of God? What is it even about? What is it like? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. There in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. The kingdom of God is this thing that is worth everything in our life. And in great joy, there's a willingness to give up everything else because this is a greater joy. The announcement of Jesus' birth, what it is like to experience the kingdom of God, what, what it is that Jesus said, everything that he taught his disciples, the whole goal of it was, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is towards the end of Jesus' life and his ministry, right before he's going to the cross. And he says, listen, everything I've been talking to you about, everything I've taught you, what's the goal of it? What's the reason for it? I just want you to do the right thing? No. The goal, the reason, the, the foundation of all of my teaching, where it's intending to lead you is I want you to have complete joy. I want my joy. And if his joy is perfect, He's the happy God. His perfect joy, he says, I want you to have that. I want you to have a complete joy, complete happiness. What's the goal even of Christian ministry? What's my job description? He says, I do not mean, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. I do not mean that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. That's what I see my job description as. 
to help you experience more joy. You can say, you are failing at that. You, you, you need a new job. But that's what I view my job description as, is to help you, to work with you. We are workers with you for your joy, for you to experience more joy, more happiness. And if you just want to see a direct command, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In case you missed it, rejoice, rejoice. This is what God desires for you. Where, where does our desire for happiness come from? We were made for it. It's part of how we image God, and it's what God wants for you. It's why Jesus came to this earth. It's what the kingdom of God is. It's what church and ministry is all about. It's what God commands us and wants us to experience over and over and over again. It's what the end game and goal of all the teaching of Jesus is intended to lead us towards is happiness and joy. This is what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. What that means is you can have it. What that means is, and again, I, I, don't, I know some of you are coming in here and you're probably like, man, it was a great weekend. I feel awesome. This is great. Great sermon. Woohoo! Others of you might come in and be like, okay, that sounds nice, but that's not what my life is. Wherever you are, what this means is God wants it for you. You can have it, and we can grow into this. Even if you think about that, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, happiness is a fruit of the Spirit, which means as God works more and more in your life, more and more joy can begin to come. But like all things, and like all the fruit of the Spirit, patience and kindness and gentleness, those are things that grow. But what that means, that's really good news. Because sometimes you might hear some of this stuff and go, okay, joy, 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 but I'm sad, or I'm depressed, or my life is hard. Or... But what it means is, you can experience a growth into these things. You can have it more. It can grow in you like a fruit. And yet, we struggle, right? It's, we, we understand that we want happiness. We understand that we have this desire. We may see that, yes, God wants us to have it. He commands it. And yet, we struggle, right? It's not something that's just a constant in our life oftentimes, I don't know where you struggle with joy or where you struggle with happiness. Might be with people or particular people. It might be in your work, or your job. It might be just as you look at kind of your life circumstances and things that have happened to you. It might be with your body, physical problems, your appearance. It can be all sorts of things that we're kind of discontent that we look and go, I'm not where they are, or I'm not where I want to be, or I'm not where I thought I would be. And we can experience a lack of happiness, a lack of joy, a sadness, a despair, a discouragement, a discontent, however you want to keep going down that line. That is oftentimes what life is like. Why? Why do we struggle to have happiness? And there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that we could go through in the Bible and look at where it explains that you'll experience a lack of joy or a lack of happiness if you go down this road. But I just want to give you two kind of big categories of why we struggle to have the happiness that we, that we want so badly. Isn't it interesting that we put so much energy and Blaise Pascal and Augustine say that everything we do is to get happiness and yet so often we don't have it. So often it's up and down. Why is that? 
First thing is this. We seek happiness in this world, and yet, as we've looked at in some other things, this world is broken. We seek happiness in the things here, and yet the things here will ultimately disappoint us. I love uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is, uh, I'll go back to it in a second. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, who was this great king of Israel. The wealthiest, wisest man that ever had lived at that point and possibly even today. And he writes this book telling us kind of this journal of his experience of saying, I want happiness. I want pleasure. And all the things that he did to get them. Imagine if you had endless resources at your disposal. And you had endless ability. You had all the money, all the power, so there's no obstacles in your way. You're king. You could do whatever you wanted to get happiness. What would you try? What would you do? If you, if you said, okay, I've got everything available to me to get happiness, what would you do? Maybe some of you brainstorm about this often, you know. If I win the lottery, that's kind of, you know, where that mind goes. If I win the lottery, I'll be bankrupt. That's actually statistically what ends up happening. But anyways, that's another sermon for another day. Um, here's what Solomon says. I said to myself, go ahead. I, will t- I love that he's talking to himself. Go ahead. Go for it, buddy. Go ahead. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it t- turned out to be futile. I said about laughter. So he says, you know what I'm going to try? Laughter. I'm going to hire Kevin Hart. I'm going to hire Aziz Ansari. I'm going to hire whoever you think is funny. I'm going to hire Jim Gaffigan. I'm going to bring them all out, and they're going to perform for me night and day. It's madness. And about pleasure. That's just a big category, so whatever you want to put in there. What does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pool of wine on my body. Maybe some of you, this was yesterday. My, my, <laughs> I'm sure it was very philosophical like this also. Right? You know what I want to do? I'm going to explore the, the pool of wine on my body. My mind is still guiding me with wisdom. He's, he's giving us a, that caveat. And how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So he says, you know what, maybe I just need to have all the best wine. And he's rich, right? So he's not like, I got a box of wine. You know, he's, he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the nicest stuff that's available. I'm going to buy Napa. You're going to buy, yep, the whole thing. I'm buying all of it. And I'm going to do a massive wine tasting this week. And he says, didn't do it. I built houses, or I increased my achievements. Maybe it's in, maybe it's in how much I can get done, how much I can accomplish. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Maybe that's some of you. You watch HGTV or whatever it is. You look at Chip and Joanna and you really covet slash want what they have and, and just go, you know what? I'm going I'm to build stuff. I'm going to have awesome house and, and I'm going to have the best garden that's ever existed. I made gardens and parks. I love, he made parks. Like you've planted a little garden. He said, I made a park. Parks. I made parks. State park, national park, another park. Planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I just, I'm going all out. He, I, first he's, you know, going the, the comedy route, and then he's like, no, let's just plant tons of stuff. 
I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. He built Cherry Creek Reservoir and he built the Dillon Reservoir and says, no, I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. Obviously, that's not appropriate, but anyways. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. But all the cows, all, and it's not just to look at. He's talk, I mean, he's having tons of steak, right? He's having ton, the best wine, the best steak in the best garden. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, all the money of the world and the treasure of kings and provinces. He is as wealthy as it gets. Sometimes we think that, right? If I just have a little bit more silver, a little bit more gold, a little bit more Bitcoin, a little bit more, uh, you know, whatever else, but just a little bit more in this stock, a little bit more saved up, a little bit, he's got all of it. I gathered the male and female singers for myself. He's got, I don't know, who, Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, they're just performing night and day for him. It's like, this is great. And many concubines, you know what that means? I think so, right? The delight of men, right? So he says, I had, I'll just take a moment to look at the room. I had all the sex I wanted, right? Okay. I, I did everything that my heart could pursue. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All... Listen, if this was you, you would think I'd be happy, right? All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. Any pleasure I wanted, I went after it, and I was able to do it. You might say, any pleasure I want, I'm going for it today. Okay, I only have $50, you know, <laughs> and you can't really do that much. Or you might have a bunch of money, but you don't have all, you can't just like have all the power in the world and be like, I'm taking Estes Park as mine. No one will listen to you. But he was able to do whatever he wanted. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. That means trying to grab the wind, which you can't do. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, this is just a snapshot of this book. But what we see here is he's trying to get everything under the sun in this world, and it doesn't ultimately fulfill. It doesn't ultimately work. So we struggle to have happiness in part because we don't have what he has. We don't have the abilities and the resources and the money to do what he did. So we think if I just had a little bit more, I could do it. If I just had a little bit bigger, a little bit better, then I could have it. The cool thing about Solomon and some of our modern day Solomon's celebrities that say very similar things that Solomon says. I think it's Jim Carrey that said something like, I wish everyone would get rich. That way they could see it won't fulfill you. But some of our modern day Solomons will say very similar things to him, which is, I, I pursued it, I go after it, I have it. We don't, most of the time, have the resources to do that. So we believe, if I just had a little bigger house, if I had just a little better spouse, if I had just a, a little bit of a, a better job, if I had just a little bit of a better car, if I had just a, a little bit more wine, 
If I had just a little bit more resources, a little bit more saved up, if I had just a little bit better friends, these ones are okay, but they're not as good as they could be. If I just had a little bit bigger, a little bit better, then I would have happiness. Solomon says, I had the resources to go all out, and it didn't work. It was futile. It was grasping for the wind. See, this is why so often we are bored with the things around us and the people around us and the places around us and the stuff around us because we are discontent believing this isn't it. It's just on the other side. That's where it's available. And when we live with that, we're going to constantly struggle to have happiness. When we live with that mentality that this, if this person was just a little bit better, my life would be good, we will constantly be discontent constantly be frustrated, constantly be feeling the futility because this world won't ultimately be able to provide for us. Stuff can start out great. It can be awesome. We can enjoy it, but it runs out. That's what happened to him. It must have started off good, but then it runs out. You ever, I always think about this with food. You, you sit down and you eat something delicious, maybe ice cream, okay? And you have a bite of ice cream. Like, wow, that's good. That's good ice cream. And you take a second bite. That's good. You take a third bite, and pretty soon your brain isn't really even registering it anymore. Now you're just putting a spoon in your mouth because the taste bud explosion kind of ends the initial dopamine rush that you get begins to end. And that's oftentimes what happens on this earth, that we have a little bit and it starts out great, but then it kind of runs out. If you have kids, you buy a present on Christmas, it's the best thing anyone's ever seen, and then it's like, okay, that's going under the bed. That's what begin. go to goodwill, case in point, right? It's filled with toys and clothes and trinkets that at one point people were so happy to buy. It runs out. I love the way that I wasn't able to quote him last week because I missed, so I knew that I needed to get him in this week. I love the way C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, He says this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country that you want to visit or or first take up some subject that excites us, education, are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would be ordinarily called unsuccessful marriages or holidays. It's not talking about the ones that suck and don't work out or learned careers. I am speaking of the best possible ones. There was something that we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. I think that he's right. I think most of us, if we look into ourselves, we'll see that's true. It may be an awesome vacation, but it wasn't quite what we thought when we planned it. It might be, an, you know, you wanted so bad to get married, and it's great. It's a beautiful gift. 
but it probably doesn't live up to the imagination in your head of what it was going to be. You moved to Denver, and oh, you saw the pictures, and the Denver Tourism Bureau did their job, and oh, so the mount, I'm, I'm only going to be on the mountains every day. I'm going to be on the mountains and drink beer every day. That's it. And you're like, okay, Denver's cool, but it's still, it, it just, nothing can ever quite give what it delivers. Something always evades us. Why do we struggle to have happiness? This is the first reason that we experience in this life and in this world under the sun a frustration that can never quite provide. And then secondly, ultimately, you and I are made to know God, to love God, to enjoy God. That's what we're made for. We're made to know him, love him, obey him, follow him. That's where life and happiness is going to be found. But without that, we will lose our happiness. Here's a couple places that speak to this. Psalm 1.1, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Now he's stating it positively, saying the happy life is following God. But what that means conversely is that if we are walking in a way of sin, and we're walking in a life of sin and with people that are encouraging us to sin and kind of the community of sin, we won't have happiness. It's not just that it's wrong. It's actually the path to a life of frustration and a lack of joy. And then he says it like this here in Psalm 40. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies? Saying that when we put our trust in God, we experience happiness. When we build our life saying the most important thing to me and what I'm going to found my life upon and what I'm truly banking my satisfaction in and, and all the different things that we've looked at. We've looked at control and approval. and all. If I say I'm trusting God for his control, I'm trusting God for his approval and his acceptance, I'm trusting God for what he's going to do in the world, not me just seeing that everything's going to work out. When we do that, we experience happiness. But apart from that, you won't. You trust in your own control or in some other thing to give you control. You trust in some other form of acceptance. You trust in the world just kind of working out and things being good. You'll continually be frustrated when our trust is not in God because we were made to know and love and enjoy and follow him, which means that one of the reasons we struggle to have happiness is because the world that we live in is just broken, so we can't get it here. But it's also because we continually put our trust in other things. And thus, by consequences, meaning that sin just naturally a lot of times leads to brokenness. If you're a jerk, it'll probably hurt your relationships. So sin takes away happiness, both by natural consequences and, and also because when our hearts are set on things that are not God, they ultimately can't deliver. And they trap us. They enslave us. If I, if I am trusting in my control of this world, I'll be anxious, which means I won't be happy. If I'm trusting in other people's opinion and respect and like and appreciation of me, they won't ultimately be able to give it. If I'm not trusting in him, I lose happiness. So, we struggle to have it. We struggle to have it. Let me just ask you, do you have happiness exactly how you want it? Do you have it exactly where you think it could be? 
If not, maybe it has to do with some of these things. Maybe it has to do with pursuing it in this world in a way that will never fulfill or in a way where you're banking on other things to satisfy and not trusting in God. And so the final thing is, how do we get the happiness that we are looking for? How do we get it? It's something I said that we, we want. We can't escape that desire. We're made for it. God wants it for us. So how do we get it? Even though we live in a state where it's often frustrated, how can we get it? Here's two things. What if we are looking for something big, an experience of happiness? What if we're looking for something big in things that are too small to satisfy Again, back to Mr. Lewis. I have to get him in twice since I forgot him last week. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Which means this. If we constantly feel in ourself, I want happiness, I want happiness, but this doesn't provide it and this doesn't provide it. What if all of that is actually intended to draw us to God? What if you were made to experience pure joy and happiness, but the reason that these things can't give it is because they're too, you want something huge and big, but you're looking for it in something small. It's a dying man that is so thirsty and just you know, parched and dehydrated and taking a little eyedropper of water. It's like, I, I need this big thing, and I'm looking for it in a water dropper. What if all those things are intended to lead us to the ultimate source of joy? And that's what the Bible says. Psalm 16, 11 says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. That says that you want this. You, you don't maybe even realize it, but what you want is this, but you're searching for it in all these other things. And he says, it is available. It's in me. I am the, listen, we think about this with God of other things. We think God is all powerful, right? All the power in the world, God has it. We think God's all loving. All the love in the world, God has it. God's all wise, all the wisdom, but all the joy in the world, all the happiness in the world. God is the source. God in his presence is abundant joy. In his presence is eternal joy pleasure. Jesus says it like this. This is really a, a verse that is the basis in many ways of the name of our church, true life. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. And that idea of life is the same thing. He's come so that we may have this fulfillment, this quality, this abundant life that he comes to give. See, the way that we can get the happiness we long for is going to the ultimate source of it, which is him. What Jesus is saying, what David is saying in this psalm, what God is saying to you, even today, is I know your longings. I know the happiness that you desire and want. I know the frustrations that come along with that and how you don't quite get it. I know that you are searching and desiring. I know that. And listen, I want it more for you than you want it. That's what God is saying to us. I want your joy more than you could ever know. I want you to experience eternal pleasure. I want you to experience abundant joy in my presence. I, want to, I came to give life to you. That is what Jesus speaks when he sees the longings that we have for happiness and joy 
that don't quite fulfill, he says, I want it. I want it for you. And that the joy in your life has been intended to lead you to him because you taste some of it and he says, there's more where that came from in me, knowing me. That's just a shadow of who I am. And the frustrations in your life have been intended, designed by God to show you nothing will ever quite satisfy like I do. So come to me. All of it have been breadcrumbs to lead us into his presence to know and enjoy him. So listen, we, we want happiness. We're searching for it in, in little pieces. It's like, go back to breadcrumbs. If, if, you, if you saw pieces of breadcrumbs on the floor and you said, oh man, that is so good, but missed the delicious warm loaf of French bread sitting on the counter, that would be foolish, right? And he's saying, I have put these things here to lead you to me, the ultimate source, the bread of life. I want you to taste and see that I am good. I want you to experience in my presence what you were designed for, what you were made for. Here's what this practically means. If it's found in his presence, then how do we access his presence? Well, there's a lot of ways, again. But one of them is just spending time with him in prayer and listening to his voice in the Bible and talking to him in prayer. That's one way that we enter his presence. Here is a way that we enter his presence, gathering with his people, listening to his words spoken into our life, responding to him in song, taking communion. Those are ways that we respond and enter into his presence. It's found in him. It's found in him. And it's found as we walk with him and obey him and trust him, which is why, let me go back to something I said. God wants you happy, but you can't take that to mean God wants me happy, so I'm going to do these things that God tells me not to do. But I know that they're right because God wants me happy. No, that's not how it works. God wants you happy, so God says, come with me where I'm taking you. God wants you happy, so he says, come to me. Come know me. Come follow me. Come learn from me. Come experience who I am because he wants you happy. And when we say, just as a phrase, God wants me happy, so I know this is the right decision, that is a foolishness that will lead to death. God wants you happy, so he says, come with me. Come with me. Come know me. Come experience life with me where I want to take you. And then, last thing. The last thing of how we get the happiness we long for. It's not only that we need him. It's not just that we need to be in his presence but we also need to receive his gifts that he gives to us with a thankful heart. See, I love the way that James says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What's good in your life? What's perfect in your life? Do you know that those are not just good things you have? Those are gifts. That changes how you think about it. Some of you have had kids recently. That's not just a kid. That's a gift that God gave to you. You celebrate it. You go, wow, I've got a baby. This is awesome. But it's not just an awesome thing that's there. It's a gift that was given to you by God. Some of you have a house. Some of you have a job. Some of you have a spouse or friends or we're going to have donuts in a minute. And those are not just good things. They are gifts. That transforms it. That changes it. And Paul says this, everything created by God is good 
And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer, which means things are sanctified or made holy or that we have this kind of experience of them in a different way when they're sanctified by the word of God, meaning we use them in such a way that is in line with what God says, and by prayer, which is really with thanksgiving. Which means this, I love this concept in this verse, and it's so helpful in my life, and it will be in yours as well. Because so often what happens is we have good things in our life. I think, just think for a second. What good have you experienced recently? Again, could be a donut, a job, a kid. What good have you experienced recently? We get those things, we like them, and then we kind of move on. But what Paul and James are saying is, listen, those are gifts to you from God, which if you live without thankfulness, if you live with just kind of soaking things up, then we are blind to God's involvement in our life. And then oftentimes we even wonder, where's God? And, you know, I know God's loving, but that just kind of sounds religious. But he is saying, no, all the good things in your life, I'm involved all the time. And if we actually cultivate thankfulness, what begins to happen is normal, everyday pleasures become holy. They become sanctified. Where you eat a donut and say, God, thank you that that is so good. You go skiing and you look at the mountains and say, God, thank you. That's how he says that it's made holy. It's made sanctified through thanksgiving because you're understanding, God, you made this. You designed this. You gave this to me. You see it as a gift. I have a little um, thing of sand on my bookshelf from Puerto Rico. And I'm Puerto Rican. If I just had a, a thing of sand in my office, that, that's nothing. But it was a gift from my grandma. That makes it something different, right? Because it's a gift, so in some ways now it's made holy, and it's more special because I receive it as a gift. Even if you go to the store, you can buy yourself a donut. You can buy yourself a chocolate bar. You can buy yourself a flower. But if you go to the store on February 14th and buy yourself a flower and put it in a vase, that is not near as holy as if someone you love buys a flower, delivers it to your door, and says, I gave this to you. You receive it different when you know it's a gift. It changes your heart different when you know it's a gift. And he is saying, I'm involved in your life all over the place. You've got good things in your life. I gave them to you. I want to fill your heart with joy. The reason God gave you a tongue with all those little buds on them is so you could experience joy. God designed so many things just to give you joy. So you want to experience the happiness that we long for? First is we engage in his presence. And then second is receive the things that he has given to you. Cultivate that practice of thankfulness and prayer. And say, and I'm not, it's, it's going to be weird if you just go around all the time and thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. That's going to be weird, right? But you have to have kind of some anchor point moments where at the end of the day or the beginning of the day or in the middle of the day, you stop and you do kind of review and go, God, thank you. Thank you for this. It makes all the normal things that we enjoy it, it brightens them, and it helps our hearts even see more who he is and how good he is. We all want to be happy, right? 
It's the desire underneath every desire that we have. It's something that each of us want. We want moments of it and a state of being. It's why we do everything that we do. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And when we take communion, if you didn't grab it on the way in or on that little table, when we take communion, we're remembering the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us. Why? Ultimately, it was to give us happiness. It was if ultimate happiness is found in God's presence, you and I are sinners that can't enter into God's presence. But through what Jesus did, he bought and brought us into the presence of God. The price of your happiness, your ultimate happiness, your perfect happiness, your eternal pleasures of happiness, the price of that was his body broken and his blood shed. Usually, if you want extreme happiness, you have to pay an extreme cost. And Jesus paid the ultimate price to give us the ultimate happiness himself. Life with him, life with his people, life freed from sin. Life enjoying his goodness and his gifts, knowing that we have a father that gives to us. So as you take communion, I encourage you, confess where you have pursued happiness in ways that we shouldn't. And remind yourself, thank you that you're a God that desires my happiness and my joy and that you paid everything to give that to me. Father, I thank you that you are a good God that we can trust and that you are a God that desires to fill our hearts with the good news of great joy. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the true joy bringer. May our hearts follow you and find everlasting joy both now and forever with you. And I pray you would just drive those truths deeper into our heart right now and as we sing, in your name, Jesus.